Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I am Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I am walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Colin Parrott, a 16-year-old from Huntington Beach who's been struggling with depression. He has gotten help with his mental illness from his awesome mom, Debbie, and from modern medicine, but perhaps the best tool he's found has been poetry. He's written a whole book of poetry about his depression called Shards. The process of writing poetry has not only helped him make sense of his mental health, but his poems help others understand what he and others with depression go through. Near the end of the episode, Colin will be sharing a poem or two from his new book, so stick around until the end. Joey and I both struggle with depression as well, which you can hear about in episode 11. It is something that our family is very open about because you know what? Depression kills. I'm very glad that Colin was willing to come on today to share his story. We believe that the more people talk about things like depression and other mental health issues, the more we'll be able to help each other and the more lives we'll save, quite literally. So welcome to Safe Home, Colin. I'm glad you're here. Hello. And I think you're our youngest guest ever. So bravo. You got the the youngest guest award. <laughs> so have you always written poetry? Has this always been a creative outlet you've had? Or is this something new that popped up when you got depressed? I originally wrote short stories and mostly creatively wrote just like, you know, stories for school. But towards okay. the end of like seventh and eighth grade, that's when I started writing poetry. I wrote one for a Holocaust competition. Essentially, it was recounting a survivor's story. Uh-huh. And then after that, I kind of got out of writing for a lot of high school until I started writing recently because of my depression. Okay. So you had written some poetry, but it wasn't like therapeutic or anything. It was just like for an assignment or for a competition or something like that. Yeah. But you had already experienced poetry and knew the power of poetry. And do you do any other kinds of art? things are you kind of a creative kid or I have never been good with drawing so words has been the way that I think I guess and I I did used to creatively write a lot I wrote scripts yeah I like to film I guess so that's a form of art oh yeah for sure but really writing is the center of all that and I think some of that comes from my mom because AP literature teacher very good it's in the genes but I mean I, I would expect myself to kind of drift away from my mom in that regard but nope I'm kind of similar Okay, very good. Well, I'm a musician. And so I guess I am a poet in the fact that I write lyrics sometimes, but I know the power of art and art can literally save lives. Sometimes you're able to express stuff in art, whatever the art form is that you can't express any other way. And it's, it's really important. I know Joey also likes to write music. He writes rap, which is poetry. And sometimes it's really dark poetry, but he's like, mom, it helps me so much. It helps me get it out. You'd rather me write poetry than actually do this stuff, right? <laughs> like, yes. So I think it's a really healthy thing to do. So tell me about your depression. When did it happen and how long had it been going on? How did it come on? Did it come on like in a flash or was it kind of a slow burn? Yeah. So I think it was January when I first started having depressing thoughts. But at the time, I didn't believe it was depression. I didn't think myself that it was depression. I just thought I was getting a little sad sometimes. And, okay, you know, I feel like that's a common thing. It was really this moment a couple of weeks before a 10 page research paper was due for my modern United Nations class. And I had not been working on the paper. I had not felt motivated to do so. Part of that was probably the depression, but of course I've been blaming myself for it. Uh Uh And um, 
it got to a point where I just kind of sat in my room and had a breakdown and started having self-harming thoughts. And that's when I kind of realized this is too much. This is too far. This is not normal. Uh-huh. And so the next morning I told my mom what I was feeling. And that is really when it started. And we got me on medication. Wow. I think I was really lucky in that I, I recognized the signs early. Yes. Very. And our family has always been very open. So I wasn't like afraid to say it or anything. Great. I think a lot of it was just convincing myself that I, that this wasn't normal because, you know, there's kind of this stigma around it that it's like so many people nowadays are depressed that it seems almost not wrong to come out and say that you have it, but you know, as if you're just going to be one with the crowd, you know, everybody seems to yeah, join the club. Exactly. Like yeah. I have a lot of friends that'll joke about killing themselves. They'll be like, I'm going to kill myself ah. joking. Ah. Oh, and it's scary. become kind of this, yeah, it's become kind of this like destigmatized thing at school where you just talk about it openly. And it's like, but that, that shouldn't be something that we're glorifying no, and no. making into a joke. Absolutely. So, I mean, definitely it was just kind of convincing myself that I had it and to go out and say it. Wow. Are you willing to share what your kind of self-harming thoughts were? What were you, what were the red flags that were scaring you? What were you thinking about doing? Yeah. So basically what it was, was, and, and I know self-harm happens for a lot of different reasons. Some mm-hmm. people do it for, I don't know, to feel something yeah. I've heard, yeah. but for me, it was to punish myself. Oh. And so it was to the point where I was making a plan. Like I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to make sure mom and dad are not in the room. I'm going to grab a knife or something. Mm. Or, or it was just, I, I don't even have to go downstairs. I have pencils in my room. I can scratch at myself with, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. Were you thinking about cutting yourself or killing yourself at that point? Cutting. Just cutting. Okay. Not just, but like you weren't intending to kill yourself, but you were just going to punish yourself by hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Joey does a lot of cutting and self-harm too. So Oh, been around that. Uh, it's really, really tough, but I'm really glad that that was enough of a red flag that you went and got help right away. You don't know how many kids just hide it and wear long sleeves and, you know, for a long time, no one knows and they deal with it themselves. What did your parents do that made it safe for you to go talk to them right away? In terms of creating a nurturing environment, I think it's just the way they raised us was very open. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of that kid that would always tell my parents everything. But at the same time, even Ash, I think my brother feels safe to tell them whatever he wants to, you know, like just without them judging him or necessarily putting him down in any way. And I think a lot of that is they've always vocalized it. They've always said, you can come talk to us about anything. And I know a lot of parents say that, but they, it really felt like it in our family, yeah. I think. And so, and when you did come, did they totally flip out and lose their shit or did they stay with you and worked with you on it? Yeah, they totally understood. Um, and they absolutely like, they, they said, okay, you're going to stay home from school. We're going to work through this. We're going to talk to a psychiatrist and also talk to the therapist and all that sort of stuff. And it was just a very calm reaction. It wasn't what I expected. I'll tell you that. Oh, good. Yeah. I always say if parents can stay calm and grounded and not completely flip out whatever your kid is telling you, then at least your prefrontal cortex is engaged. You know, you're only 16. Your prefrontal cortex is not even done growing yet till you're in the mid 20s. Right. But if the parents can stay calm and not flipped out completely when they come to you with something, a problem like Colin had, we're able to stay in thinking mode and, okay, what should we do next? And get the solutions for what 
you know, you need to do. If you're all flipped out together, then it's a big mess. <laughs> so bravo to your parents for having an open environment where you felt like you could talk to them and for not flipping out. Bravo. So you got to a psychiatrist. Did you get on some meds for your depression? Yeah. So I'm currently actually on Lexapro 10 milligrams and most of my family and it works now. It took a long time to work. It does. It's a terrible thing about those medicines. It takes a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like we don't have a couple of weeks. What did you do in those couple of weeks while you were waiting for it to kick in? So it took eight weeks to kick oh in. Oh my and gosh. And that was That's really, yeah, that was really the worst part of the whole Oof. depression thing. We were really lucky because we managed to get me on medicine before I left for my trip from all United Nations. So I was at least on medicine before that. And so it kicked in faster than it would have if we waited. Okay. And once that happened, once it kicked in, it was fine. Everything was, you know, fine. And I, I stabilized myself to a point where I could, you know, pull myself out of a spiral if I was spiraling. Yeah. But before that, during those eight weeks where I was adjusting to the medication were the two times that I actually did self-harm. Oh, okay. Okay. And both of those times, once was just scratching myself until I bled with my finger. And the second time was with an actual knife on my arm. Oh, so it was escalating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And both times I went to my parents immediately after and told them what happened. Mm -hmm. And the second time with the knife, they made all the necessary steps, the like pact uh, to, I, I don't know what it's called, the pact to not self-harm. Oh yeah. Safety contract or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. pact of safety or something. Where, you know, they made me promise I wouldn't self-harm. And then also they took all the knives away yeah. from the house. And still we have no ceramic knives in the house. Wow. The serrated knives are back, but not the ceramic ones. Okay. Right. Okay. We had to make some shifts like that. And it's a pain in the neck, but criminy, what are our options, right? I mean, it's so important. You just have to lock stuff up sometimes. So we got to do what we got to do. So no worries. Ah, I am just so impressed with you. And your parents, because you, right away after you cut yourself, you were able to go to them. I, I think a lot of kids just sit in it for so long and then it gets worse and then it can spiral and things get really out of hand. So I'm really, I'm really impressed with you. Now, during that time, is that when the poetry came out while you were waiting for those meds to kick in and it was kind of the darkest part of your depression? Yeah. So I started writing poems in New York during the Mali United Nations trip. Um, oh, okay. I was walking around the city and I just kind of felt inspiration to write a poem. Nice. There's a few poets from New York. <laughs> yeah. And out of that came Glass Cone, the first poem in my book. Ah, would you like to read that one? Uh, I'm going to read Sunset Relapse later. Oh, you're going to read that? That one is the basically lowest point. The lowest. <laughs> okay. So the first poem you wrote, can you give us just kind of a, what is it about? Yeah. So that one is split into three separate I wouldn't call them chapters. Have you ever read T.S. Eliot? Oh, not for a long time. Yeah, so we read that in A.P. Lang. And during that reading, we read a poem with chapters almost, okay. denoted by Roman numerals. And so I was inspired okay. by that, and I wrote mine in three Roman numeral parts. Okay. And so the okay. first part is essentially equating me as a metaphor to glass. It's okay. about how there's like a glass wall in front of everyone I'm talking to. And I guess my interpretation of it, though it's open to interpretation for anyone, is that the glass kind of represents this barrier to be open and intimate mm -hmm. with someone. Mm -hmm. Then the second clause is a little more literal. I don't think anyone has ever correctly guessed what I based it off of. It's subway trains in New York. Oh. And it's talking about the cars flashing by one by one. 
And I wrote that while I was on the subway. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> we were driving back to the hotel and we just chose to use the subway because we didn't have like a bus or something. Yeah. And then the third yeah. part goes back to the glass metaphor and kind of delves into more of the spiraling part of it and how I spiral, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to do for sure. Now, when you were on that trip, were either your parents with you or were you with chaperones or? Yeah, we were with chaperones. My parents were all the way back in California. So it was really an away from home experience. And I think that might've brought out the depression a little more. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of scary stuff, especially a big city like New York. Did you have safeguards in place? Did you have a person you knew you could talk to there or? No, this was before any of the self-harm stuff had really happened. And we didn't have a support system. We, We told our teacher that I was on medication, Okay, but that's pretty much all we did. So I, I didn't really have anyone to go to. Okay. Was it a huge struggle or was it okay? Did you make it through okay? Or was it like a major? Uh... I made it through. It was definitely a struggle, but it taught me how to kind of get out of the spiral myself. And I think that was yeah. important for later. Yeah. Because when you're in one of those spirals, it's really hard to just pull yourself out of that mindset because everything feeds into it. It know? is hard. And that's the thing about depression. You, your mind isn't working quite right. And you're expected to pull yourself out. Well, yeah, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. Right. Yes. So yeah, no, I understand that, that cycle and it's, you know, you're unmotivated to do anything. So even helping yourself, right. Because one of the symptoms of depression is the lack of motivation. So Ah, I can understand. Well, that must have been pretty stressful for everybody for you to be so far away. But you'd worked on that for a long time, I bet, the MUN thing. Yeah. And weren't going to miss that New York trip, right? Because that was really important. Is that something that you want to do as a career? Yeah. So when I grow up, I either want to be a lawyer or a UN ambassador. Ah, So Model United Nations is kind of the path. That's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What country were you guys? I was representing actually a figure because I was in a special committee. Oh, but a lot of our delegates were U.S. We had, uh, I want to say some Mexicos. I forget. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Very interesting. I never did MUN, but my sister did. So I remember watching all that happen. So it's good. Okay. So you made it back from New York. Your meds are starting to kick in. You're struggling with self-harm. Are you also getting therapy in addition to the meds? Yeah, I get weekly therapy. I think soon we're actually going to change to two weeks because it's better now. But okay. originally yeah. it was every week. Yeah, good, good, good. I think both of those are important. The meds are good and the therapy to work on what's underneath everything. Ah, What advice would you have for any kids your age or high school kids or, you know, junior high, high school kids that are struggling with feeling unmotivated or feeling, you know, these symptoms of depression? What would you suggest that they do? For me, I think find support. And whether that support is through an artistic outlet like poetry, art, singing, whatever you find. Or whether that support is through someone else, whether it's your parents or friends. I know our school, at least the school I go to, has a lot of mental health resources, like a wellness center where you can go, Mm -hmm. a school therapist you can talk to. Mm -hmm. And I think just finding some outlet, some way to get it out is key to starting to mitigate it. Yeah, I think so too. Do you ever run into any kids that are just like, nope, therapy's not for me. Nope, I don't need it. I don't need any of that support. Do you run into any of those kids? I have seen a couple of those people. And I know people that have attempted and still say, I I can't be helped, you know? 
It's like they've lost hope. And therapy isn't necessarily always the answer. It's not going to help everybody because depression isn't the same in everybody. Yeah, that's for sure. And sometimes it's medication. Sometimes it's not. Really, you just have to find a treatment that works for you. And whether, like I said, whether that's talking to someone or medication or therapy, you kind of have to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, everybody has to figure out their path. But but Yeah. yeah, it's... It's so important because, yeah, like we said, if this kind of stuff goes unchecked, suicide is, you know, that's the last stop on the train. Right. And a lot of people don't survive that. And it's so terrifying. So it's nothing to joke around with. And people are out there to help. I think schools are doing better with it than they used to, for sure. And I know in my son's case, he went to the school nurse was the first person he went to after he had attempted to kill himself. And they hopped right on it. They don't mess around with it, right? <laughs> Have you used your resources at school at all? Or you you maybe didn't need to? Yeah, I haven't actually, because really the moment I realized was at home. Yeah. And so I was able to tell my mom first. Yeah. But I definitely think that would have been helpful if it had happened at school or if I had really felt that way at school. And maybe some kids don't have parents like yours that would be available for them to talk to like that. Uh, Maybe they don't have someone that would be mm, empathetic or they would make things worse, maybe. So having those school people to help, uh, your doctor, you know, there's other grownups or teachers or coaches, I'm sure that kids could go to. And do you have any advice for parents if they have a kid that's, you know, having a real rough time with their mental health? What would you suggest parents do? Uh, Be there, recognize the signs. So my parents have always had that open door policy where it's kind of you, you recognize that they're always there. They're always open to listen. Uh And just letting your kid know that every so often is really helpful, or it was for me at least. And for recognizing the signs, sometimes it's really hard to do that because often People with depression can put on like a mask yeah. almost. I know I did. I know a friend that talked about that at my book talk. Yeah. He was talking about how there's almost this mask, this happy mask that yeah. takes over. And so it's really hard to recognize kind of when that's happening. So he does that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But definitely, I think just asking your kid how they're doing every so often mm-hmm. is really just really helpful. Even when they say, okay, like, how are you doing? Okay. Press say, how are you really doing? And sometimes they'll say, I'm really doing okay. And you can tell something is amiss. Then you might have to let it go. But make sure you make it clear that they can talk to you and they can be open. Yeah, that's so important. And and that's Joy and I definitely would agree with you on that, that the parents as open as we can be to hearing that tough stuff that we might not always want to hear, but it's important for our kids to be able to come to us. We want them to come to us, right? We don't want them to go to their friends. What are their friends? <laughs> and sometimes their friends could lead them astray or lead them to substances or lead them to other stuff. So, you know, we want to be the grounded individuals who've also worked on ourselves that can guide our kids that are struggling. It's such a hard time to grow up nowadays. I don't envy you guys at all with all the stuff going on with the social media and everything happening. So uh, we need to be there for our kids. So, well, I think your story is amazing. And I'm just so impressed with this all just happened since January of 2022, this very year, right? Yeah. You've had quite a quick turnaround and not only just a personal turnaround, but you've turned it around and are helping others already. That's pretty remarkable. Would you like to share your poem with us? Yeah. So this poem is called Sunset Relapse. And I wrote this at what I consider to be one of the lowest moments of my depression. It was, um, 
It was a moment where I was thinking of self-harming a third time, but I didn't. This was the 422-2022. So this was after I went on the MUM trip. Honey dipped horizon. A magical moment when the breeze ceases to exist and warmth seems to radiate from the earth. Emptiness, indescribable hunger. I can feel every ounce of the heavy weight around my ankle. This is so very painful. The thought comes through despite protest. I deserve this. It's better this way. I want to scream. I want to shout. I want to tear at myself. It's all so wrong. I'm supposed to feel better. I'm supposed to be better. I'm supposed to. Everything was fine. Nothing even happened today. So why? Walking on glass. My stomach is a warm, hot thing, so alive, skin and flesh and all of it perfectly intact. It fascinates me. Every thought drives me deeper in. Am I scaring you? How many people am I really hurting when I think I'm just hurting myself? I pick up the pen and write about all of the things, but at some point the ink turns white, useless scratching against the paper that's being analyzed. How am I supposed to keep being honest this way? Honey dipped horizon, falling slowly behind the curtain for the moon to rise. Night, once a solace, now a wicked twisting of things. Can a happy dream be a nightmare? If I could just get over myself, I can't. I'm better, I've been better, but all of a sudden like a deer caught in the headlights. Am I scaring you? Please tell me, please let me know what I can do to fix it. Tell me how to fix myself, how to sew myself back together, how to glue my broken brain that thinks all the wrong thoughts and does all the wrong things. How am I supposed to do Spanish when every thought spirals away from my control? How am I supposed to feel better when really I just ignore my problems and hope they go away? How am I supposed to live this way? Am I supposed to live this way? Sitting on the couch with a knife in my hand, I was so close. Am I scaring you because I don't know what to tell you anymore? I should just disappear. My heart beats louder than everything else. I'm a coward. Emptiness, indescribable hunger. Flesh, smooth and malleable, looks so fragile in the sunlight. Sharp, short breaths, crazed rambling avenues and alleys my mind wanders into. Corners and crevices that have been hiding flood out like a spider after the rain. I regret writing this poem, and yet I keep writing. I regret living in the first place, and yet I keep. She loves me, she loves me not. 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 Let's take a tour through me. Let you peek under the rug and behind the curtain. See the disjoints, this jumps and missing pieces like a broken record. Go between them like changing the station on a TV. Weak and weary legs as you walk down the stairs, endlessly deep and long. I want to scream writing this. Not cathartic anymore, just another suckling leech. Giving blood instead of taking it. Tainted blood, depression blood. Long streaking lines line the walls. At the bottom, I'm in a cage. I'm in a cage and I'm holding the key and I'm trying to get rid of it. And you can't get close and I don't want you to get close. And I don't want anyone to get close. All the bad bubbling to the surface and I can't even cry. I feel like I've broken some barrier, some invisible and unspeakable rule. Something bad and wrong is going to happen. I think. I'm so unsure, so unsteady on my feet on the uneven ground. No more glass. It irritates me. No more metaphors. They irritate me. Only dark thoughts and wrong thoughts. Digging my own grave and lying down in it. And I'm asking you to bury me. And you won't. It's so exhausting. More exhausting than anything imaginable. Every moment becomes an hour. I betrayed everyone. I've lied to everyone. And nobody will like me anymore. A bitter and secret hatred is hatred all the same.
Ooh, that's intense. Wow, Colin. That's pretty amazing. There's some really interesting imagery and just so dark. It's so dark. It's really sad. There was a line that hit me about, could a good dream be a nightmare? Yeah. Is that like, um, if you have a good dream, but your life isn't like that, then it becomes a nightmare? Is that what you were saying? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what I was going for. It's the idea that you have this happy dream and then you just wake up and Uh, there's this moment where you realize, oh, that didn't actually happen. Yeah. So the living part is the nightmare. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot that I could really relate to in there. And that's just so, I'm pretty amazed that you wrote that and you're only 16 years old. That's a lot of insight and a lot of beautiful imagery and beautiful words that you pulled together. If people wanted to read your poems at their own leisure, how would they get a hold of your book? So we have a Amazon listing of the book. If you just look up Shards Colin Parrot, it'll come up. I'll put the link in the show description. I also have an Instagram you can go to. The crow is out. Crow with a Q. <laughs> as well as Colin J. Parrot is my business account. Okay. So if you want to go there, I have a link tree that links straight to the Amazon with the book. Well, I so appreciate you being a guest on our show today, and I am glad to know you. I I know your mom kind of peripherally a friend of a friend of a friend, but it's nice to know you, and you're doing amazing work, and I I think I'm going to see you one day as an ambassador or something very important, because you are bright and insightful, and you have a lot going for you, so I can't wait to watch you growing up. (laughs) Yay. Yay. Yay, growing up. Well, thank you very much. If any of you listeners would like to share this episode with anyone else you know who might be struggling with depression or any other teens that you know who might be able to relate to what Colin's talking about or anyone who's interested in poetry, any of those uh, intersections, please share this episode and find us on Safe Home Podcast on social media, on YouTube. We have a Patreon account if you'd like to contribute a small amount each month to the podcast so we can maintain commercial-free episodes for you. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And I think that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you again, Colin, for being here as our guest. It's been really delightful having you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And Colin and I want you to stay Stay safe. safe.